السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار أما بعد Before I go on my brothers and sisters I want to make clear that I do not accept and nor am I pleased with that which has been said concerning myself. I bear witness before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that I free myself before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of the madh and the praise that our brother, however well intentioned it was, I free myself from it and I am not deserving of it. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive him and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive me. Shaykh Al-Fawzan, Hafizullah Ta'ala, makes clear in one of the most tremendous works that I've seen from the Shaykh in a concise manner that deals with the affair of Tawheed. And he mentions with regard to the affair of Tawheed, and of course time will not allow to discuss the whole of this book and everything that he brings forth. But nevertheless, he states in the first chapter of his Durus, Min Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem, he states that the Qur'an makes clear that the first affair, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam called to, and likewise the messengers who came before called the people to, before anything else was the affair of Tawheed, the worship of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Indeed, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and messengers to all of the nations. وَلَقَدْ بَأَثْنَا فِي كُلِّ أُمَّةٍ رَسُولًا أَنْ يَعْبُدُ اللَّهَ وَاجْتَنِبُ الطَّاغُوتِ And Allah said, and we did not send except a messenger to every nation, calling them to the worship of Allah and to abandon the worship of the false deities. And likewise, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressing the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا مِنْ قَبْلِكَ مِنْ رَسُولٍ إِلَّا نُوحِي إِلَيْهِ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا أَنَا فَاعْبُدُونَ And we did not send before you, O Muhammad, a messenger, except that we inspired him with the saying that none has the right to be worshipped except me, meaning except Allah alone. So worship Allah. And likewise, the prophets and the messengers, when they were sent to their people, that they would always begin the call, Ya qawmi'budullaha ma lakum min ilahin ghayruh. So the prophets and messengers, when they were sent to their various nations and to their respective nations, they would say, Ya qawmi'budullah, O my people worship Allah, for indeed you have no deity worthy of worship besides Him. So this was the starting point of the message and the call 
of all of the prophets and messengers. If the person or if a person needs to know or wishes to know the manhajul anbiya fi da'wati ilallah, the methodology of the prophets in calling to Allah, then this was their methodology. That they would bring, that they would begin with the most important affair, which is the affair of a tawheed, the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So likewise is the case with the followers of the messengers. Amongst those who call to rectification of the ummah in every age and every era, that the first matter of those who follow the prophets and the messengers, the first affair, the first matter that they focus upon and give attention to is the affair of a tawheed. To single out Allah alone with ibadah. To single out Allah alone with worship. This is because he mentions that every call that is not established upon tawheed, then it is a call that is fruitless, a call that is futile, a call that will not be able to achieve its goals. Any cause, that, any call that marginalizes and puts to the side the affair of the worship of Allah alone and singling out Allah alone with ibadah and does not give attention to the issue of tawheed first and foremost because that is the root and the foundation of the aqidah. Then it is a call that will fail in achieving any fruitful results. And the manhaj of the anbiya the methodology of the prophets. And if we look at the lives of the prophets, then this is what we find. That Allah would send them one after the other, whether it be to Bani Israel, whether it be to the rest of the nations of the earth, regardless of which part of the earth that they were upon. The first thing that they would say to the people, Ya Allah, Oh my people, worship Allah. For indeed you have no deity worthy of worship besides Him. This is something that is borne witness to and well known. That when a person follows the way of the Anbiya and the Rusul, the way of the Prophets and the Messengers, then he will find that his da'wah is a da'wah that is mubarakah, a da'wah that is blessed. Indeed, every call that focuses upon Tawheed, then it will be successful by Allah's permission. It will bear the fruits that are desired. It will succeed and it will benefit society. This is something well known. It is well known in the annals of history. We do not ignore, barakallahu feekum, as some of the opposers, some of the mukhalifin, those who oppose our da'wah. They say that there are more important things to call to. And they say, you people, you ignore the plight of the Muslims as they are suffering in the various parts of the world. And I don't even have to mention to you, barakallahu feekum, those parts of the world where the Muslims are suffering. Those lands where the Muslims are dying and their children are dying and they are being expelled from their lands and they are being made homeless and their buildings and their houses and their hospitals and their schools and their mosques are being destroyed. This is happening right now. And it is something that is not new, Barakallahu Fikum. It is something that happened in the generation that came before and then in the generation that came before that. It is not something that is unique to the 21st century. Or the 15th century of Hijri, of Hijra. It is something that the Muslims have been, have, have had to deal with century after century almost. Since the Middle Ages up until now. So it is not right that the people say to us that you people, it's all very well that you talk about Tawheed. But you don't care about the plight of the Muslims. We say to them that the focus upon Tawheed is dealing with the core of the plight of the Muslims. We care about those Muslims. 
Rather we aid them, we support them. And we should utilize every means to prevent harm from them and injury to them. And it is not easy upon us to witness the killing of Muslims. Seeing them driven out of their lands. However, it is not sufficient. And it is not enough that a person weeps or pretends to weep. And he screams from the pulpits about the plight of the Muslims. And that we fill the world with emotional speech and writings with screams and wailing. This will not bring about progress, barakallahu feekum. Nor will it rectify the affair of the Muslims. By broadcasting photographs and imagery of Muslims dying. And then screaming out for vengeance and revenge. That will not change the state of the Muslims. Because that is not what the Prophet ﷺ said. When he said وسلم, When you start taking part in interest transactions and you hold on to the tails of cattle and you become satisfied with cultivation and you abandon jihad in the path of Allah then Allah will send down His humiliation upon you and Allah will not remove His humiliation up until you return back to your deen up until you return back to your religion the Messenger of Allah وسلم, mentioned the humiliation that will come down. He mentioned the causes of the humiliation. Disobedience to Allah. Disobedience to the Messenger of Allah. Committing sins. Not following the Sunnah. Then Allah will send down His humiliation. Who is the one who sends down the humiliation? It is Allah. Upon whom? Upon those Muslims who disobey Him. Upon those Muslims who commit sins. Allah will send down His humiliation. And Allah will not remove His humiliation as the Prophet said, Up until you return back to your religion. This religion that Muhammad came with, this religion that begins with this greatest of all fundamentals, which is the worship of Allah. So screaming out with vengeance and murder, that we must respond and we must do this and we must do that. This is empty emotional speech that does not deal with the core of the issue. Which is where is this humiliation coming from? And why did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remove His aid and lift His aid for the Muslims? Why has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not given them support? What is the underlying reason that will bring the aid of Allah and remove the humiliation that the Muslims are facing? So the correct cure for the plight of the Muslims is to first and foremost investigate the reasons that led to necessitating this torment that has been unleashed upon the Muslims and has caused their enemies to humiliate them. What are those causes? How can we look at the results of what is happening? We look at the calamities that the Muslims are facing, but we're not looking at why those calamities began in the first place. Why that humiliation is happening to the Muslims when it didn't happen to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him strength and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused him to migrate from Mecca to Medina. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory after victory after victory. Why did that, not, that humiliation not come upon him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he was tried in the early part of his message, in the early part of his mission, of calling the people to the worship of Allah. 
He went through trial. He went through tribulation and boycotting and harm. But when he had sabr, and iman was established in the hearts of the believers who were around him, those sahaba radiallahu anhum, look how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them victory after victory. Such that no enemy was able to overpower them in totality. They may have lost a battle here and there. But those setbacks were exactly what they were, setbacks. But Allah gave them victory, Allah gave them honor. This is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So looking at the causes and the reasons. So what is the cause of the humiliation of the Muslims by their enemy? When we look at the Islamic world, we find that most of them who ascribe themselves to Islam, that they do not hold on fast to the religion. Except whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guided. So they are the Muslims. Those who are Muslims merely by name. That you find that the beliefs that they hold, that many of them hold beliefs that are futile. Many of them worship other than Allah. They attach themselves to the worship of the awliya in their graves, in their qabur. And the worship of the salihin. You see them till this day, creeping up to the grave of the Prophet ﷺ, bowing their heads, calling upon him, Ya Rasulullah. Or they go to the grave of Abdul Qadir al-Jilani in Baghdad. Or they go to the grave of Ali in Najaf. Or they go to the grave of Ahmed al-Badawi in Egypt. And you find them going to those graves and seeking their aid and assistance across the whole of the Islamic world except for those lands that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected from the fitna of the qubur. So when you find them doing that and then you have another body of them from those Muslims, many of them don't even pray the five daily prayers. They do not fast when the month of Ramadan comes. They don't pay the zakah when it becomes obligatory upon them. So they abandon the obligations that are upon them. Then on top of that, they are drowned in sin. Listening to music, drinking of wine, fornicating, becoming promiscuous in their habits, taking the wealth of others, dealing in usury. Then they see a newspaper report or they watch the TV and they say, look at those poor Muslims. You're the one who is poor. And you are just a reflection of what the ummah is about today. That the majority of the ummah today, that they are not obedient to Allah and they are not upon steadfastness. There's that tremendous hadith of Khabbab ibn Arat, radiallahu anhu, reported by Imam al-Bukhari. He said that we came to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Mecca. Whilst the Prophet ﷺ was sitting in the shade of the Kaaba, and we asked him, Ya Rasulullah, do you not see how we are suffering? Khabbab ibn Arat, he said to Rasulullah, Ya Rasulullah, do you not see how we are suffering? Because they used to take Khabbab ibn Arat, and they would take a heated, metal plate and place it upon his body to make him burn. And what they used to do to the rest of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, as they did to Bilal bin Rabah, taking him out into the open desert, into the baking hot desert, and placing rocks upon his body, in order to cause him to leave his religion. 
and what they did to Sumayya radiallahu anha, when they tortured her, and they tied her to the, to the floor of the desert, to the ground, and then they beat her, and she would not leave the religion of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So they took a hot metal rod, heated in the fire, and they forced it into her abdomen up until she died, radiallahu anha. They boycotted them. They tortured them. They abused them. They would mock them. They would attack them. They would cause anyone who is married to a Muslim to separate the husband and wife. Parents would eject their children out of the house if they became Muslim. This is the condition that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and his companions, they suffered in Mecca. So Khabbab ibn Arat, he said, Ya Rasulullah, do you not see our suffering? Will you not make dua to Allah? Will you not ask Allah for aid? So the Messenger of Allah sallallahu said, Indeed a man will be brought from the people who came before you. And a metal comb will be placed upon his body. And the very skin and the nerves and the veins will be ripped from his skeleton. A hole will be dug for him. And a saw will be placed on top of his head. And they would saw his body in half as he was living. Alive. Put a saw upon the top of his head and start sawing him in half. As he's alive. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Yet that would not make him leave his religion. That would not make him leave his religion. Meaning look at the suffering of those who came before you. Likewise he said today, you look at the suffering in the various parts of the Islamic world, then look at the suffering of those who came before. Look at the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. After the Sahaba radiallahu anhum in the time of Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, how Hajjaj, how he murdered the Sahaba radiallahu anhum from them Abdullah ibn Zubayr when he crucified him. Yet those Sahaba radiallahu anhum had sabab even before the Sahaba from Bani Israel, what happened to the wife of Fir'aun, radiallahu anha, when he took her out into the open desert, and they beat her, on the basis that you will leave the religion of Musa, and she said, I will not leave the religion of Musa. So then Fir'aun, in some narrations, it mentions some of the tafasir, that Fir'aun himself, that he took a hammer, and an iron nail, and he hammered it into the arms of his own wife. Into her arm, into her hand, into her shoulder, into her knee, into the other hand. And she would not leave her religion. And she called out to Allah, Oh Allah, save me from him, and make for me a house with you in Jannah, Oh Allah. And the Mufassireen have mentioned with some authentic chains of narration that lead back to the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And some of them, which are marfu'ah, elevated to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent angels to Asiya radiallahu anha, the wife of Fir'aun. And, they, and when they left after torturing her, that they sheltered her and gave her shade with their wings. And then they turned their head up until she could see through the heavens. And the heavens were cleared for her. And Allah showed her her house in Jannah before she died. 
radiyallahu anha. What suffering, barakallahu feekum? What suffering? When Khabbab ibn Arad said to the Messenger of Allah, Ya Rasulullah, ask Allah for aid. Look what the Messenger of Allah wasallam said. He knew their suffering. He knew what happened to Sumayya. He knew what was happening to Bilal bin Rabah. He knew what was happening to Khabbab ibn Arad. He knew wasallam. Yet the Prophet wasallam did not mention their suffering. He said they came before you were people. He didn't use their example because he knows your suffering. He used the example of a people who came before from Bani Israel. To whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and messengers. How they would be tortured. How they would be beaten. How they would be punished. How they would be burned. How their bodies would be cut in half. So the Prophet ﷺ said, a sword be placed upon his head and his body would be sawn into two pieces and that would not make him leave his religion. He would still not leave the religion of Al-Islam. And then he said ﷺ that indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will establish his religion. He will establish it. For certainty Allah will establish it. Up until a man will travel from Hadramaut to Sana'a. From Hadramaut in Yemen to Sana'a. And at that time when the Prophet ﷺ uttered these words, Yemen was under the control of the Christians. And there were Christians and Jews in Yemen. Even Mecca. The Prophet ﷺ is sitting in Mecca. And Mecca is Darul Kufr at, the time of the, at that time of the Prophet ﷺ. In the hands of the Mushrikeen who were worshipping 360 idols. And they had pictures and images that they used to paint inside on the walls of the Kaaba. So the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, even when he used the example, he didn't use the example of Mecca. He didn't say, one day Mecca will be with the Muslims. He didn't. Again, he uses an example that is ba'id, that is far from the minds of the Muslims. Almost as if to say, don't even worry about Mecca. A time will come when a man will travel from Hadramaut to Sana'a and he will not fear except Allah and the wolf upon his sheep. Not fear except for Allah and the wolf upon his sheep. But you are a people who are musta'ajileen. You are a people who are hasty. Meaning have sabr. Just like those who came before you had sabr. Just like the ulul azm had sabr. Those firmly resolved messengers had sabr. Nuh had sabr. Musa and Isa and Ibrahim, they were patient worshippers of Allah. And those who followed them from those who were their disciples and their ashab, look how they suffered, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rewarded them. So here, the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mentioned that this deen will be established. Allah will establish it. Which deen? The deen of tawheed. The deen of Allah. The deen that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent the prophets and the messengers with. So now what do we find? That that condition of leaving off the worship of Allah or worshipping others besides Allah. How many Muslims do you see that they wear around their necks the tamaim? This ta'weez. That they say this is a good luck charm. Oh, you will protect me from... You know, they wear amulets. Or that they go to the graves. Or that they believe in superstitious beliefs. Or that they go to individuals who will tell them about the future. 
You see them involved in magic and in communicating with the world of the jinn from amongst the devils. Muslims are involved in this or those who ascribe themselves to Islam. And yet, when it comes to the affair of the troubles in the Muslim countries, they'll be the first one to go out and march in the streets. Yet it is because of their behavior that the Muslims are under the humiliation of the enemies of Al-Islam. So this is the condition of many of the people who ascribe themselves to Islam. They have squandered their religion. So Allah the Mighty and Majestic has left them to be wasted. From the most important reasons that has led the Muslims to be tormented is their neglect of a tawheed. And they're falling into major shirk. They do not forbid it, nor do they refute it. And it has reached the extent that there are some Muslims who they themselves don't partake in shirk. Yet they will not forbid it. Rather they will not even consider it to be shirk. Like you find some of them. From those groups and parties they say, Listen, I don't commit shirk. And I don't go to the graves asking them. But because it is a matter of ijtihad. As one of the leaders of those political organizations, he said that the tawaf of the graves is a amr ijtihadi. Is a matter of ijtihad. Whether you make tawaf of a grave of a dead person or don't make tawaf of it, it doesn't matter. It's not a matter of dispute. What's the matter? What the, the issue at hand, as they claim, is the shirk of the qusur. Not the shirk of the qubur. They say that as for you people, you keep talking about the idolatry that takes place at the graves of the awliya of Allah. You're always talking about how people are prostrating to the graves. That's all you're concerned about. We're concerned about a greater goal. And that is the shirk of the palaces. What's the shirk of the palaces? They say that the rulers are squandering the wealth of the Muslims. That's the shirk of the palaces that they talk about. As for you, you talk about the shirk of the qubur, we deal with the shirk of the qusur. Allahul musta'an. Where is that and where is the sunnah of Allah's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? Where is the manhaj al-anbiya? وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ I did not create the jinn nor the mankind except that they should worship me alone. That's the foundation of the creation of all of creation. From amongst the jinn and mankind that they were not created except to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The first command of the Qur'an, when you open up the book of Allah and you enter into Surah Al-Fatiha, then you enter into Surah Al-Baqarah. What's the first command of the Qur'an? يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسُ اعْبُدُوا رَبَّكُمُ الَّذِي خَلَقَكُمْ وَالَّذِينَ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ The first command of the Qur'an is a command to the whole of mankind to worship Allah alone. O mankind, worship your God, your Lord who created you and created those who came before you so that you may attain piety. First command of the Qur'an is to worship Allah. The purpose of creation is to worship Allah. Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala mentioned that the whole of the Qur'an from its beginning to the end is about Tawheed. There is not a single surah of the Qur'an except that it discusses Tawheed. Even, this, even those ayat of the Qur'an that talk about the rulership and leadership, that they are conditioned upon Tawheed, as we shall mention inshaAllah. So Tawheed is important. And it is the most important affair. You find people, they will not forbid it. They will say, leave them. The most important thing now is the rulers. The most important thing now is the enemy overpowering. They don't miss, they've missed the point. They've missed the point. 
The point is that the reason why the enemy is overpowering his people have stopped worshipping Allah as he should be worshipped. They have entered into ideas of shirk, polytheism, and unbelief. Like those Muslims who believe that Allah is everywhere. Where is Allah? They say Allah is everywhere. See you everywhere? They say yes, he's in you, he's in me, he's in the monkeys, in the donkeys, in the carpet. He's in the ceiling, he's in the air, he's in every atom. So they believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indwelling inside of his creation. They are Muslims that believe that in the concept of al-ittihad or wahdatul wujud that the essence in reality is one. That there is no distinction between the creator and the created. The created, it is Allah because you are Allah. And everything is Allah. Because Allah is everywhere. They are Muslims. Large bodies of Muslims upon this earth. In fact, the greatest madhab in aqeedah believes in that aqeedah. Which is the denial of the ulu of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The highness of Allah, the asha'ira. That is the biggest madhab of aqeedah amongst the Muslims in the ummah today. And look at their aqeedah. They deny the ulu of Allah. That Allah is the most high. Fawqa arshihi. Above his throne, above the seven heavens, bidatihi, in his essence. They deny that concept. They say, no, Allah is not above. And if you speak to the other sect, which is, as, which is almost as big as the Ashaira, which is in fact the Aqeedah, is very similar, and shared the Maturidiyya. They say, Allah is not above. So where is he? He's not below. He's not right. He's not left. Allah, nothing. Denying clear hadith and clear ayat. Allah becomes nothing to them. Like the Jahmiya and the Ashaira and the Maturidiyya. The concept of the Qur'an, the Ashaira, the biggest madhab in Aqeedah in the world today, in terms of numbers of followers. What did they say about the speech of Allah? That Allah never spoke with a voice. Allah never spoke with words. But rather, it is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is kalam nafsi. Meaning that it is, it is an interpretation of what Allah wanted. Allah inspired it into Muhammad or into Jibreel, who took it to Muhammad. So Allah does not speak. This is the aqeedah of the Jahmiyyah. The aqeedah that was refuted by all of the madhabs of the early Salaf. Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Malik ibn Anas, Muhammad bin Idris al-Shafi'i. Books were written against his madhab by Imam al-Darami and others. And yet this is the aqeedah that is prevalent today. And then they wonder why the Muslims aren't victorious because you have corrupted your aqeedah. You have corrupted your aqeedah. People gather in their hundreds and thousands at Najaf to ask Ali radiallahu anhu to aid them and help them. Then they walk away cursing the rest of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. This is what they do. Tens and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, gather at graves in Pakistan and India and Bangladesh. Hundreds and thousands gather at the grave of Al-Badawi in Egypt. And then they say, Where's the, why are we being humiliated? We need to take vengeance, we need to take revenge. What revenge? You think that you can fight the punishment of Allah and the humiliation of Allah with your swords? You can repel Allah with your swords, the humiliation of Allah. It is for no other reason that the Prophet ﷺ said that the humiliation will not be removed. Up until you return back to your religion. That religion, when Jibreel alayhi salam asked the Messenger of Allah ﷺ, inform me regarding Islam. He said, Islam is that you testify that none have the right to be worshipped. 
Look what he began with. Tawheed. After he explained, after he explained Islam, he said, Akhbarni. Akhbarni anil iman. Inform me regarding iman. And tu'mina billah. That you believe in Allah. Began with Tawheed again. Then he said to him, after he explained iman to him, he said, then tell me about ihsan. And ta'bud Allah ka'annaka tarahu. That you worship Allah as if you see him. Though you see him not, فَإِنَّهُ yarak. Indeed he sees you. Tawheed again. When he asked him about Islam, he began with Tawheed. When he asked him about Iman, he began with Tawheed. When he asked him about Ihsan, he began with Tawheed. Tawheed! And then they say Tawheed is that you people talk about Tawheed. As one of those Sufis said, these Wahhabis when they talk about Tawheed, go to the desert, you learn Tawheed in five minutes. In the desert, how? By putting your head into it? How are you going to learn Tawheed in the desert in five minutes? When the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam called to Tawheed for 13 years in Mecca. And then another 10 years in Medina. When he sent Mu'ad bin Jabal to Yemen. He said to Mu'ad, oh Mu'ad, I am sending you to a people from the people of the book. Let the first thing that you call them to is the testification that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah. If they accept that from you, then inform them that Allah has obligated upon them the five daily prayers in their day and their night. What did he begin with? Tawheed. When you speak to them, begin with Tawheed. If they accept that, meaning if they don't accept that, don't move on. There's no moving on. If they accept that and they acknowledge that from you, Ya Mu'adh, then inform them that Allah has obligated upon them the five daily prayers. Meaning if they don't accept Tawheed, there's no benefit in the Salah. What benefit is there in the Salah of the one, the prayer of the one who does not worship Allah alone? If they still believe that Jesus, the son of Mary is God, or that He is the son of God, and He is an object of worship, if He was to pray five times a day, fast the month of Ramadan, perform Umrah every week, Hajj once a year, give His zakat and give His wealth, that would not aid his Islam. That would not make him a Muslim up until he worships Allah alone and he abandons the worship of others besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these, barakallahu feekum, are the most important reasons for the torment and the punishment being unleashed upon the Muslims. So where does rectification lie? Then it makes sense that rectification lies where the Prophet sallallahu began. What did he begin with? Tawheed. Imam Malik ibn Anas. He said that the latter part of this ummah, and he took this from his sheikh, Wahab bin Kaysan. That he said that Wahab bin Kaysan used to sit with us. And he would and he would stand from us, but he would never leave us when standing, except that the last thing that he would say to us is that the latter, latter part of this affair will not be rectified except that which rectified his first part. Imam Malik would say that the latter part of this ummah will not be rectified except that which rectified its earliest part. And rectification is not something that you decide. The kayfiyah and the manhaj of islah and the rectification of the ummah is not something that is open to ijtihad. The messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as Abu Dhar radiallahu anhu al-Ghifari he said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam did not even leave a bird flapping its wings in the sky 
except that he gave us some knowledge concerning it before he died. A bird flapping its wings in the sky and the Prophet ﷺ gave them knowledge concerning it. Salman al-Farsi was approached by a Jew and the Jew was mocking him and making fun of him. So the Jewish man said to him, your Prophet even had to teach you how to go to the toilet. He said, yes, he did. He taught us that we should not, when we're relieving ourselves, we do not face the Qibla, nor do we turn our back to the Qibla, and that we wipe ourselves with an odd number of stones. This is why he said, so this messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, at whose hands Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala completed the faith and completed the religion, this religion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with, الْيَوْمَ أَكْمَلْتُ لَكُمْ دِينَكُمْ وَأَتْمَمْتُ عَلَيْكُمْ نِعْمَتِي this day I have perfected for you your religion, perfected my favor, completed my favor upon you. And I'm pleased with Islam as your religion, as the Prophet Allah said to the Prophet So the religion is perfect and complete. He taught them the toilet manners. He taught them وسلم, what to do on the seventh day of the birth of a child. Shave the head, he said. Weigh the hair. Give the weight of, weight of, the, the weight of that in silver in sadaqah. He said, circumcise. On the seventh day, name on the seventh day, perform the aqiqah on the seventh day. If you cannot perform it on the seventh, then do it on the fourteenth. If not on the fourteenth, then the twenty-first. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam telling you what to do with your baby on the seventh day. Alayhi salatu wassalam. This is Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam telling you the number of stones, odd number, minimum three, when you cleanse yourselves if the water is not available. This is Rasulullah. So he told you that. But he neglected to tell you what to do when the ummah is being attacked and slaughtered and beaten and tortured and exiled. He forgot. He neglected. Is that what they believe? So now they have to think about their own idea of rectification as you find all of these groups and parties in the ummah today. They say, don't listen to these Salafis. They don't know what they're talking about. They're unaware of the fiqh waqi'. They're unaware of the reality of affairs and the affairs in the world today. These are scholars of Hayd nifas as they used to say about Sheikh bin Baz and Sheikh ibn Uthaymeen. These great ulama of the ummah when they used to speak about the affairs of rectification as I'm speaking to you now. Because it's not something from me, this is from them. And those that they took from. When Sheikh bin Baz used to speak like this, when Ibn Uthaymeen used to speak like this, when Sheikh al-Albani used to speak like this, what did the opposers say, those politicians who wanted power, power, power? All they want is the kursi. All they want is the throne. All they want to deal with is the palaces. Why do they have it? We want to have it. We want to establish the law of Allah. Establish the law of Allah beginning with Tawheed. So when those scholars used to say to them, this is not the way that you do it. Rectification does not lie. In the manner that you are trying to rectify, it begins with Tawheed. And following the Sunnah. And sticking to the Tawheed of Allah. Understanding the Aqeedah. Sticking to the methodology of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. And following their way, they say, don't listen to them, these are scholars of Hayd al-Nifas. Ask these scholars, these scholars who speak like this, they used to say, they say, these are scholars of the, of the menzies of the women. All they know is menstruation. The ruling of menstruation, go to them. Like one of them said, about Imam Muhammad Amin Shanqiti, rahimahullah, sahib adwal bayan, the author of that tremendous tafsir of the Qur'an, a great scholar, Muhammad Amin Shanqiti, rahimahullah, one of them, because he was a great alim of the sunnah, from the Sheikh of our Shiyukh. He is from the Mashaykh of our Shiyukh. Rahimahullah Ta'ala. So one of them tried to attack him, one of these political activists who wants to deal with the thrones of the rulers. 
He said, this scholar, ask him any single ruling about water. He will tell you everything about water. How it's purified, it's, pur- it's, it's method of purification. When can it be used for wudu? When can it not be used for wudu? When is it impure? When is it pure? If a purity is added to it, does it, be, does it remain as water? Or does it change its condition? What changes its condition? He said, anything about the rulings of Miyah, you can ask him. Ask him anything about the worldly affairs of the politics of the dunya. He's the most ajhalun nas, the most ignorant of people. This is how they saw those scholars. In the time of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimahullah and Imam Shafi'i, the same accusation used to be made against them. When those ulama of the earliest generations, those fuqaha, used to go against Ahlul Bidah, they said the people, those heads of, of deviation used to say, Abu Hanifa, Shafi'i, these are scholars of Hayd and Nifas. Same language. Same language. This is to scare the people away from the reality of the deen. So one of them, when Shaykh Abdul Aziz bin Baz was alive, and Shaykh Abdul Aziz bin Baz used to call for patience, and sticking to the truth, and calling to Tawheed, and acting upon the Sunnah, and being away from Bid'ah, and keeping away from Shirk, and calling the people to righteous deeds. They used to say, yes, that's bin Baz. He knows about the start of Ramadan and the end of Ramadan. Bas. Ask him about the rulings of Ramadan. That's all he knows. This is what they used to do to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Same thing. He's a madman. He's a poet. He just wants leadership. He doesn't know anything. So this, barakallahu feekum, should not deter you. Because the reality is that which is in the kitab and the sunnah. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it clear throughout the Qur'an. Aid the religion of Allah and Allah will aid you. Aid the religion of Allah and Allah will aid you. How do you aid the religion of Allah? Those whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala establishes in the earth. That they will establish the prayer. And they will give the zakah. They will enjoin the good. They will forbid the evil. And the final affair is with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes, makes it clear throughout the Quran. Like that statement from Surah Al-Hajj that I've mentioned. Makes it clear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we establish them in the earth, they will establish the prayer. They will make salah. They will pay the zakah. They will enjoy the good. They will forbid the evil. Shaykh al-Fawzan mentions, so how is the deen established? When these core elements of the religion are not established, the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So where is the worship? Where is the establishment of the salah with many of the Muslims today? As Shaykh al-Albani said, even those that are taught to pray, they are taught to pray in opposition to the sunnah, not in accordance to the sunnah. So where is the establishment of the prayer? Where is the giving of the zakah? Where is the enjoining of the good? And the forbidding of the evil amongst many of the people. They don't even know good to enjoin good. They don't know evil to, in, to forbid the evil. Because they've never been taught and they never studied. So where is the fulfillment of these affairs amongst the Muslims today? Where is the establishment of the prayer amongst many of the Muslims? Indeed, where is the correct belief amongst many of the Muslims who claim that they are Muslims? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in the Quran. وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ كما استخلف الذين من قبلهم 
ولا يمكنن لهم دينهم الذي ارتضى هم الذي ارتضى لهم ولا يبدلنهم من بعد خوفهم امنا الله سبحانه وتعالى said and this is a pledge and a promise from your lord for those of you who believe وعملوا الصالحات and those who is, those who work righteous deeds so Allah begins his promise by saying that this is a pledge from Allah for those amongst you who believe and they work righteous deeds لا يستخلفنهم في الارض that Allah will establish them in the earth just as he established those who came before them establishment of the earth is for whom for those who believe correct aqidah tawhid that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions wa'ad Allah alladhina amanu those who believe and those who work righteous deeds that Allah will establish them in the earth give them the khilafah in the ard just as he gave it to those who came before and Allah will give them establishment of their religion the religion that Allah is pleased with for them wala yubaddilannahum min ba'dihim khawfihim min ba'di khawfihim amna and that Allah will replace their condition of fear with peace and security they used to live in fear Allah will give them security. Even Kathir mentions the tafsir of this ayah. Even Kathir mentions that when the Prophet ﷺ moved to Medina, that the enemy attack was always imminent. The enemy attack was always imminent because the mushrikeen were plotting and planning always to destroy this, this burgeoning religion of Islam, this religion of Islam that was still in its early period. So they used to go to sleep at night with their swords and their spears next to them. They dug her next to them out of fear that they'll be raided and killed. So they came to the messenger of Allah. They said, Ya Rasulullah, for how long? For how long are we going to have to sleep at night in this fear for ourselves and our wives and our children with swords next to our bodies at night, Ya Rasulullah, for how long? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah. وَعَدَ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مِنْكُمْ وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ لَا يَسْتَخْلِفَنَّهُمْ فِي الْعَرْضِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised those amongst you who believe and work righteous deeds that Allah will establish them in the earth just as He established those who came before them. And Allah will establish for them their religion, the religion that Allah is pleased with. And Allah will remove the state of fear that they live in and Allah will replace it with security. What more do you want, ya ikhwan? What more do the people and the Muslims want to hear? Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions a condition at the end of the ayah, يَعْبُدُونَنِي وَلَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِشَيْئًا So long as they worship me alone, and they do not associate partners with me in worship, Tawheed. Again, Tawheed. So now when the people are screaming and shouting, and they are talking about rectification, this is rectification. If the Prophet ﷺ taught you how to use the bathroom, he taught you the dua before having a relationship with your family. The Prophet ﷺ neglected to tell you what to do in times of hardship and difficulty. Those Sahaba were in difficulty. They were living in fear, just as they were living in fear in Mecca. So the Prophet ﷺ said what he said to Khabab ibn Arat. The Prophet ﷺ said to the companions what he said. With regard to this ayah, pledge from Allah, promise from Allah. For those who have iman. Which iman? Iman of the Asha'ira? Who believe that iman doesn't even increase and decrease? The iman 
of the muryatul fuqaha who believe that iman is at one fixed level that iman or the iman of the jahmiyyah who believe that iman is just in the heart not even an utterance upon the tongue or the iman of the khawarij those terrorists who believe that by committing an act which is lesser than shirk that the whole of iman exits the heart that iman that is not the iman of the sahaba that is not the understanding of iman and aqeedah or the iman of the, of the rafid shia who believe that their imams control every atom of the universe or is it the imam of the sufiya and the quburiya who believe that the dead ones in the grave have an effect upon the living that they can cause you to be cured from their graves as one of their leaders said he said our awliya in their graves can do everything there's only two things that they differ upon between them this is what the leader of the quburiya the sufi said in yemen he said that we believe that our awliya can do everything from the grave except two things number one, he said that they cannot bring revelation that is new he said but this is a issue of ikhtilaf can they bring revelation number two, he said impregnating women from the grave he said as for the second then we believe that they can impregnate women from their graves with this iman this is the iman that Allah is talking about if you have this iman Allah will give you establishment upon the earth the Ashairah who deny the ulu of Allah that Allah is above the seven heavens over his throne whilst there is ijma where Ibn Qayyim rahimahullah ta'ala and Imam al-Dhahabi he mentions there are over a thousand proofs from the Quran and the Sunnah and the early Salaf proving that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above the seven heavens over his throne distinct ba'in min khalqihi distinct from his creation and separate from them yet they believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not above the seven heavens he's everywhere with this iman Allah, will, Allah has pledged them to give them establishment upon the earth. What righteous deeds? salihat. The righteous deed is only accepted if two conditions are fulfilled. That it is done purely for Allah and secondly it is done in accordance to the sunnah of Allah's Messenger In accordance to the rasul of the, of the sunnah of Allah's Messenger If it is not done for Allah then the deed is rejected. And you can get your reward for the one that you did it from. Go and get your reward from him, as Allah will say, Yawm Al-Qiyamah. For Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not in need of any partners. That you do a deed, and you say, this is for Allah, and this is for the idol, or this is for Allah, and this is to show up for the people, Riya or Sum'ah. No. All the righteous deeds are done for Allah. Ikhlas lillah. Secondly, that it is done in accordance to the sunnah. If it is not done in accordance to the sunnah, then it is rejected. Man ahdata fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fa huwa rad. Whosoever does a deed, or whomsoever innovates into our religion that which is not from it, then it is rejected. Whomsoever does a deed that is not from this affair of ours, then it is rejected. So any deed that is not done in accordance with Sunnah is rejected. Rad. Rasulullah said, So those who celebrate the birthday of the Prophet year in and year out, last 60 years, since they were 6 years old and now they're 66, they've been celebrating the birthday of the Prophet Tell them bring one hadith. Bring one statement of the Sahaba, Abu Bakr or Umar or Uthman or Ali or Abu Hurair or Ibn Mas'ud or Ibn Umar or Aisha. Bring me something from the Sahaba, nothing. Bring me something from Bukhari, nothing. Something from Muslim, nothing. Abu Dawood, weak even, bring us a weak hadith. Can't? Bring us something fabricated. <laughs> so why do you do it? 60 years you've been doing it. 
What do they say? We only intend good. It's not enough because the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever does a deed that is not from this religion of ours, what's the religion of Allah? Wahi. اتبعوا ما أنزل إليكم من ربكم ولا تتبعوا من دونه أولياء قليل ما تذكرون. Follow that which has been revealed to you from your Lord and do not follow other than that. Of friends and protectors besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, little is it that you take admonition or remember. Follow the revelation Allah said in the Quran. He didn't say follow other than that. Follow revelation, rather he forbade you from following other than that. Amlahum shuraka, Allah mentions, Shara'u lahum min ad-deen. Or do they have partners alongside Allah that legislate for them acts of worship in the religion? Do they have it? For which Allah has not given them any permission? This is Ahlul Bid'ah. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made this promise, a promise from your Lord, for those of you who have belief, belief in Tawheed, the correct Aqeedah that is penned down in the books of Aqeedah of the early Salaf. If you don't know those books, go to that shop and get some of those books. Usul al-Sunnah of Ahmed ibn Hanbal. Sharh al-Sunnah of Imam al-Barbahari. Explanation of the creed, the foundations of the Sunnah, mountains of knowledge, the Aqeedah of Imam al-Awza'i, Imam Sufyan al-Thawri, huh? Imam al-Khatib al-Baghdadi, Imam al-Sabuni rahimahullah. These a'imma of the salaf and their aqidah is penned down and written and available. And this is just in the first three and four centuries of al-Islam. The aqidah is there. So where are the people with this aqidah? You've never heard of it. Some of them come say, Ya akhi, knock on your door. You open the door. He says, Akhi, come to the masjid. say, what for? It's not even prayer time. He says, Akhi, we're going to talk about iman in the masjid. I said, where are you from? They say, we're from India. I said, what are you doing here? We're going for 40 days. I said, 40 days for what? I said, it's not even prayer time. For what? They said, come to the masjid, we're going to learn about iman. I said, alright, give me the ta'rif of iman. Give me the definition of iman. No, akhi, you have to ask the sheikh in the mosque. <laughs> How long you been with this group? They said, we've been with them for 15 years. I said, 15 years? 15 years, they couldn't tell you what the definition of iman is. They keep telling you to go back to him. Didn't he tell you in 15 years? For what benefit? What benefit? You know... Your eight-year-old daughter, your eight-year-old son knows the definition of Iman if he's from Ahlul Sunnah. This man, 15 years he's been with them knocking on doors. And he has to drag you to the mosque before he can give you the definition of Iman. When Iman has been defined in the books of Aqidah of the early Salaf, if only they opened them. Instead of opening up storybooks. <laughs> the establishment of the religion is through correct Iman. Righteous actions that conform with the Sunnah. Then Allah will establish them with the condition. So Iman, correct Aqeedah. Secondly, righteous deeds in accordance with the Sunnah. Thirdly, Ya'budunani. So long as they worship me alone. وَلَا يُشْرِكُونَ بِشَيْئًا And they do not associate partners with me. This is in complete agreement to the Manhaj Al-Anbiya. You want establishment upon the earth? This is how it is done. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made clear this victory. And this establishment. That it will not come about unless the condition which he stated is met. And that is to worship Allah alone. And not associate partners with him. And that is a tawheed. The tawheed of the anbiya and the rusul. The tawheed that Allah sent the prophets with. The purpose for which Allah created you. The reason for the sending of the prophets and the messengers to call the people to the worship of Allah first and foremost. The reason why the prophet ﷺ would write letters to the emperor of Rome. And to the Khazros of Persia. And to the leaders of the tribes. And he would send his companions to call them to what? To the Tawheed of Allah. So this is 
the purpose of creation. And including this worship of Allah is the salah, is the siyam, is the zakah, is the hajj, and all of the other acts of obedience that you established upon this fundamental of tawheed, all of those righteous deeds in accordance to the sunnah. Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. Pray like you have seen me pray. Not like some village man taught you how to pray and he doesn't even know how to pray himself. He is in need of education. Learn to pray in accordance to the sunnah. But Prophet ﷺ at every stage at Hajj used to say to them, take your rights of Hajj from me. So the companions would watch the Rasul ﷺ. How, is it? How many times did he make Hajj with the Sahaba? You know? How many times? Once. Rasulullah ﷺ led them in Hajj once. So when he used to say to them, take your rights of Hajj from me, they would watch him at every moment. So he got to Arafah. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam after noon, meaning after the sun had passed its zenith. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, just outside of Arafah, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that he performed Dhuhr and Asr, shortened and combined. Right? So he's only made Hajj once. Every year we go to Hajj, and you find those people saying, no, Akhi, we're going to pray four for Dhuhr, then we're going to wait till Asr and we're going to pray four. We say, Prophet Asr didn't do this. He said, no, Akhi, we're going to do this. Say, but the Prophet Asr didn't do this. He said, take your rights of Hajj from me. He prayed two for Dhuhr, one Adhan, two Iqamas. Two for Dhuhr, two for Asr. Then he spent the rest of the day in Dua. They say, no, Akhi, we're going to pray four because this is our madhab. Follow that which has been revealed to you from your Lord. Don't follow your blind madhabs. Follow the sunnah. Take your rights of hajj from me, he said, sallallahu alayhi wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. So Allah the most perfect and most high. Not only did he say, worship me. Not only did he say, ya'budunani. So long as they worship me alone. Rather he followed it up with the saying, wala yushrikuna bi shay'a. That they do not associate anything in worship with me. That is because worship does not benefit a person in the presence of shirk. That's why when the Salafi speaks, why are we, you know, why do people look at us and say, oh, you people are too harsh. Why? If we just affirmed everything, Ya Akhi, pray. They'd be okay, we're going to pray. Ya Akhi, worship Allah. They'd be happy. Okay, we're going to worship Allah. The problem is the nafi. When we say to them, worship Allah, but don't go to the grave, say, Ya Akhi, leave me alone. Huh? He's saying, follow the sunnah, say, okay, we're going to follow the sunnah. Follow the sunnah, but don't celebrate the birthday of the Lord. Nah, he leave me alone. Because they're okay to a point. But when you forbid the evil, and you forbid that which is wrong, that is when the problem starts with them. Right? Now the issue, barakallahu feekum, and time doesn't allow, of course, to go into full detail. But nevertheless, so these affairs that we have mentioned today, and I'll conclude upon this paragraph, the, the nasr of Allah or the aid of Allah and salvation and security and establishment in the land, rectification and, and, and rectification of the Muslims lies in the rectification of their belief and rectification of their deeds. Whilst these affairs are not fulfilled, then there is torment and there will be catastrophe after catastrophe. Many afflictions have already befallen those who violated any of these conditions. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did he not say in the Quran, فَلْيَحْذَرِ الَّذِينَ يُخَالِفُونَ عَنْ أَمْرِهِ 
أن تصيبهم فتنة أو يصيبهم عذاب أليم. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not say in the Quran, let those beware who oppose the command of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, lest some tribulation befall them or a painful torment be afflicted upon them. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not say that if you oppose the Messenger of Allah, that Allah will cause you to fall into fitna, that Allah will strike you with calamities and afflictions. Did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not say that if you oppose the Messenger of Allah and His commands, that Allah will punish you? So this is where the punishment is coming from. Rectify this part of your faith, this part of your deen. Then Allah will rectify the affairs for the whole of the ummah. Just as Allah gave victory to the Messenger of Allah وسلم, victory after victory. And any time the companions were defeated, then it was seen as a setback, what would they do? They would rectify. They would become more pious, more obedient. This is the way of the Sahaba radiallahu anhu. Not a single one of us, barakallahu feekum, is pleased with the calamitous state of the ummah today. Not any one of us who believes in Allah in the last day. Which Muslim would be pleased to see the suffering of another Muslim? One Muslim suffering is a burden upon one's heart. What about when we see tens and thousands of them, tens of thousands of them suffering on a daily basis? Does that not cause the heart to become weighty and the eyes to shed tears and to feel the pain of our brothers and sisters? But that should not make us distant or remove us from the fact that the result of, of what has happened or, the, or, or, or this, what is happening is only a result of the weakness of the ummah due to their distancing from the worship of Allah, the following of the sunnah, and being distant from istiqamah and tamassuk. You want rectification? Sunnah and the way of the sahaba. Alaykum bima araftum bin sunnati wa sunnati al-khulafa al-rashidin al-mahdiyin abdu alayha bin nawajid wa iyyakum wa muhdathati al-umur. That's what the Prophet said. What is upon you is to hold on to my sunnah. And the sunnah of the rightly guided caliphs after me, the sahaba radiallahu anhum, that you bite onto that with your molar teeth. And you are aware of newly introduced matters into the religion. For every newly introduced matter is a misguidance. Cure. The problem is that this message that we preach and that we are calling to, that this message that comes from the manhaj of the Anbiya, the methodology of the Prophets, is not being heard by enough people. And it has been repelled by the people of Bid'ah. But you yourselves who are sitting here today, this is a proof upon you, and a proof against me. But inshallah, it's a proof in our favor, Yawm Al-Qiyamah, if we act in accordance with the Kitab and the Sunnah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those who are upon istiqamah, that we live upon that, and that we die upon that. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad. وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين فجزاكم الله خيرا